This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio. The new AM740. The world doesn't need another sports show. It needs an awesome sports show. You're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning, Naz. Good morning, Wally. Neil, the boys are back. Let's talk sports. Good morning and welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live from Liberty Village in downtown Toronto on the new AM740. I'm your host, Walter Rigabon. Joining me in studio this morning, uh, his return appearance to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. Thanks for joining us. Of course, Mike Wilson. Mike Wilson is the ultimate Leafs fan, and uh, he's known for the finest collection of Leafs memorabilia in uh, in the world, uh, quite frankly, Mike. So thanks so much for joining us this morning on this very, very joyous Occasion. Well, you couldn't have picked a better day to have me, Wally. Uh, thanks very much. Uh, the timing was absolutely perfect. Um, we're, we're certainly thrilled to have uh, the ultimate Leafs fan. It's certainly appropriate. And also in studio this morning is going to be helping us out uh, a little bit is our uh, uh, young young gentleman who's been helping us out with our website and has been posting a storm, our, uh, our assistant producer, Steve Sahoyas. Good morning, Steve. Thank you very much, Walter. Good morning to you as well. And uh, I'm sure you, the the young people in Toronto, you're you're representing the uh, on the show to the young people. But we have on the line uh, my co-host, of course, uh, my my brother in arms, Naz Marchese. Naz not able to be in the studio this morning uh, at a special day in his family's life uh, yesterday. His Son Matt got married, and uh, certainly it was a wonderful occasion. And uh, we wish uh, Matt and and his and his bride all the best in their coming life together. And Naz, we're thrilled to have you on the line this morning because we cannot uh, go a day a day like today without chatting with you. You're uh, you're uh, you're a huge Leafs fan, and uh, I know that you're quite uh, you woke up quite happy and. Uh, Last night we actually got the occasion to, uh, when the wives weren't watching, we got the occasion to tune in the game a little bit at the, at the tables. But Naz, how are you feeling this morning? I'm feeling great. I uh, got in at two thirty in the morning, but I'm still feeling pretty good. <laughs> Anyways, once again, congrats on behalf day. of everybody, and it was a great event last night. Congratulations to the Marchese family and to the uh, and to your wife's family. Uh, sorry, not to your to your uh, son's wife's family for a, a remarkable event, had a lot of fun. But uh, interestingly enough, we want to talk about the game. We have to talk about the game. And uh, it's interesting, uh, just uh, from an observational point of view, uh, uh, when I go to these events, my wife uh, usually takes my phone away from me. Uh, she doesn't like me taking the phone out in social occasions. I donated my phone to her, and she's <laughs> put it in her purse before the event started. But... Uh, had some gentlemen at the table that were huge Leafs fans, and uh, or uh, we pulled out the we pulled out the phone and actually streamed the game uh, while some of the wedding speeches were going on. It was uh, it was remarkable. Uh, just to give just to give the listeners a background, Matt uh, Matt's job is he's a producer of Bob McCallum's uh, primetime sports every day at four o'clock, 
on the fan 590, and John Shannon was at your table. He was sitting right next to me. Yeah, and yeah. he's at your table, and so was Bob, as a matter of fact. And uh, Shani had the uh, the game on, and I watched it a bit too. So it was kind of it was it was kind of a uh, fun thing. It's it kind of a fun thing because all these radio guys are there too, and, and it's uh, it was fascinating last night. Yeah, I mean, it's it just shows you the depth of uh, depth of interest. Uh, uh, you know, obviously Matt being in the business. Uh, uh, I guess he he understood, and his and his and his and his beautiful bride understood uh, that uh, sports is important too. Um, although uh, I have a difficult time convincing my wife of of that, uh, but uh, as as the game progressed in the third period, I, I noticed that the uh, people crowding our table behind 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 Shannon and his, and his phone streaming in the game got. Got uh, got bigger and bigger, and uh, my wife got angrier and angrier. That I... go ahead, Mike. Well, you know what, Naz? Uh, and congratulations first to your family for the wonderful Thanks. event yesterday. Um, you you've just now created a where were you moment. Well, yeah, think about true. it, because now you're your special evening for your family. People will look back years from now if things go according to plan for the Leafs moving forward in the next few years. I was at. Naz's son's wedding the day the Leafs actually clinched to get in the playoffs. And we were watching over the table, looking over Wally's shoulder when he stole his phone from his wife's purse. <laughs> and guess what? Here we are now in the Stanley Cup Finals. And we, I was there the day it broke. Yeah, certainly. Uh, uh, certainly it was, uh, it was interesting last night. I mean, uh, I, not- I noticed at one point your son was, uh, was trying to give a speech at the end and he had to hold off for the last minute of the game. <laughs> so, uh, uh, but uh, that's sports and, uh, and it, was, uh, it was a thrilling finish. And I want to go, uh, Naz, you and I uh, didn't get to watch most of the game, we got to watch, I guess, the last five, six, seven minutes on a little iPhone. Uh, did the best we can, but and I'm going to turn uh, turn over to you guys, Mike and Steve, and from what I've read, uh, certainly the third period uh, was a phenomenal period for the Toronto Maple Leafs, and um, and they just they they did something I wouldn't have expected from, and that's why this is a different Toronto Maple Leaf team. Uh, they're young. They're not. They're not victims of the past. Babcock's a winner. Uh, they recovered from uh, a goal that would have set a lot of previous Leaf teams back. Of course, that was the unfortunate one that bounced in off a of Gardner and uh, got somehow got behind McElhinney. Uh But they bounced back, and they were the fa- the fans were into it, and uh, and uh, it was an exciting, exciting last ten minutes of the game. Well, the thing about it you have to under, everybody has to understand is, is the process in place that the Leafs have instilled, starting with the new regime, has been like this has been a work in progress from the beginning of time but since this management has taken place to prepare for events like this, that, you know, any kind of setback, you move forward with the project at hand and you, you, you know, carry out your assignments. And, you know, the game of hockey is a very simple game at the end of it. You know, don't let your guys score and win your shift. And at the end of the game, your results will, will show. And I think that, you know, the credit to Mike Babcock is that he has instilled that in every player that pulls that sweater over his head, that that's what's expected of you to play for this team. And it came through when the air was taken out of the building when that goal went in, which, you know, and again, as you would think, here we go, it's the same old Leafs, and this is going to happen again, and here we go. But see, to, to, you know, everybody's surprise and wonderment, that is not the way this team is built. And the way they were built is just to overlook that and move forward. And if you 
keep working hard and you carry your assignment as we've been trained to do day in and day out by the Mike Babcock's theme, you know, things will take care of themselves. And who set up the winning goal? Jake Gardner. Naz, um, obviously an exciting, exciting evening. And uh, like I said, we got we got a, uh, and your, your thoughts on, uh, your thoughts on what transpired last night and, uh, and going forward. Uh, obviously tonight's a big game for the Leafs as well. It's, uh, you know, one point, they, a tie makes a huge difference for the Leafs tonight. Uh, yeah, they, yeah, they play uh, Ottawa instead of uh, Washington, so that is a big difference. But, you know, uh, guys, the, the way this team's built and built, it's been on the rookies. And look who scored their last three goals last night. I mean, Kapanen, uh, Connor Brown, and Austin Matthews with his 40th. And that's been the theme of this team all year round, and they've worked very hard. And if Babcock is not coach of the year, there's something wrong. He's well, really, he's really turned this team around. Really turned it around. Well, he he certainly has, but he's going to have uh, coach of the year. That's you know that's a debate, Naz. Where uh, there's some there's some there's serious no debate in my mind. Uh, if it's because you're a homer, but uh, <laughs> you know well, I, I, I'm sure that Columbus never been coach of the year. There's a there's another there's a, oh, I don't disagree with you, Naz. But there's another serious uh, serious contender for coach of the year in town as we speak. Which is, of course, John Tortorella with what he's done with Columbus. I mean, I was reading some of the numbers. Uh, you know, uh, from where they've come from last year into 107, 108 points, or wherever they are. That that's just. I think they've increased their point total like 44 points. Steve, you probably know better than I. Yeah, no, they've been <laughs> phenomenal this year, the Blue Jackets, and a lot of it has to do with Bobrovsky between the pipes. What we saw from him two years ago, at last season we saw a little bit of a drop in his play. He's been right back to the Bobrovsky that won the Vesna Trophy. So he's really helped. And we talk about rookies here in Toronto. How about the kid on defense for the Blue Jackets, Zach Wierenski, right up there in points amongst all defensemen. He's been really phenomenal for that team. You know, talking about rookies, and I want to go back to you, Naz. Uh, Austin Matthews he got his 40th goal last night. And I uh, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but there's only three. He's now the only the third player in the NHL this year with 40 goals. Naz, uh, we've talked about it. Is there? I mean, he has to be the rookie of the year. Oh, he has to be. The other guys have played really well, but the, you know, a kid scores 40 goals in his first year. You gotta, you gotta, and the way he plays defense in his own end. I mean, GC back checks like crazy, and uh, you gotta take Austin Matthews for sure. Complete player. Anyway, so we're we're gonna take a quick break. Naz, you're gonna hang on. You're gonna you're gonna hang oh, around for the next part of the show, and uh, and uh, we're, we're gonna talk some more Leafs. And uh, there's a lot to talk about. It's Master Sunday, and at the middle of the hour, we'll have calling uh, calling us from Augusta, John Steinbreder. It's uh, it's been uh, a contributor to our show for for uh, for a few years. We always call him on Master Sundays down in Augusta. Hopefully, we're able to. Uh, Get a connection with us sometimes in those uh, rolling hills down there. Uh, the cell phones don't work uh, that great. We're hopeful to have them on around 9.30, so we really want to talk about. I always consider the Masters Week and the start of spring, and uh, it's, uh, the Masters is always a remarkable event, and it's going to be a great afternoon at Augusta this afternoon as well. And uh, the Leafs, of course, and uh, the playoffs, there's lots to talk about. We'll be right back after the break. It was a rainy day when Pizzaville wondered who makes the best Ponzo. After exhaustive and highly scientific research, we asked three customers and a guy named Cheech, we have concluded that Pizzaville makes the best Ponzo in town. There you have it. You can't argue with facts. Maybe I should run for president. 
Call Pizzaville for a Ponzo at 7363636. Not 7363636. There's an old saying. Entrepreneurship doesn't build character, it reveals character. Entrepreneurs learn to trust a person by trusting people. The law firm Rigabon Carly understands this. They know all about entrepreneurs because they work for them. Every day, they've earned their trust. They know that when it comes to meeting the legal and business needs of entrepreneurs, good enough is not enough. Rigabon Carly, the intelligent choice. Steel's Paint in Woodbridge, an enormous 20,000 square foot superstore that carries nothing but the best. Superior staff, superior advice, superior selection, superior everything. When you have a really tough job to do, they can knock it down to size. They'll show you how to get it done right, and because they only sell the best of everything, you'll get it done to last. That means superior satisfaction. Steel's Paint, 4190 Steel's Avenue West in Woodbridge, the best. This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Vaughn. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada, and the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com, or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. From face-offs to playoffs, field goals to own goals, you're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning and welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live from Liberty Village in downtown Toronto on the new AM740. And in, once again, if you're listening in downtown Toronto, we are also on 96.7 FM. On the internet, we're at www.zoomerradio.ca if you want to internet stream. In studio with us this morning is the ultimate Leafs fan, Mike Wilson. Uh, thanks for joining us, Mike. Great. Thanks, uh, Wally, for having me. It, you know, you were just talking before the break about Austin Matthews and, and, you know, the candidate for Rookie of the Year. The other thing that people have to be aware of, and Laney's is, is big competition in Winnipeg, uh, but the thing is Laney's playing with an all-star center in Sheffley. Whereas, you know, Austin Matthews has played with two rookies all year. So you have to take that into account either. So his accomplishments, I think, are even more fold than what are really shown on a sheet of paper. I mean, his kid's just been magnificent. And if you watch the way he plays in both ends of the ice, I have, I have myself have not seen skills like that in a long, long time. Anyways, join, joining us uh, um, by phone this morning is, is of course, my co-host, Naz Marchese. Naz, just before I went to break, we uh, were talking about Coach of the Year and Rookie of the Year and... Uh, you know, uh, Babcock. Yeah, I think I think it's a three-man race, and uh, I think it's Babcock, Tortorella, and probably Todd Todd McCollin out in Edmonton. Uh, I know I know the, the 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 writers out west are really pushing for the job that he's done, and uh, it's been a long time since Edmonton's had this success. Uh, but uh, you know, we're we're Toronto fans here, so. Uh, you know, interestingly enough, I don't know. Maybe you guys can correct me, Steve. Uh, you're a stats guy, Naz. You're, uh, you're, uh, you know all things uh, factual wise. But has has Babcock ever won the Coach of the Year? No, never, never, never. Which, never which is hard to believe. It's hard. I mean, I mean, I guess the Coach of the Year generally is they they almost should rename the trophy. It's it's they give it to the guy with the biggest turnaround. So a lot of the really successful coaches that are successful year in 
year out. Um, they, they don't they don't uh, they don't get into the running for coach of the year, and that's just that's just plain wrong. As as uh, what's uh, Quenville in Chicago? Has he ever won coach of the year? I believe uh, I think Quenville has. Yeah, I believe he's won one with Chicago. Yeah, I think and and look, on. I mean, I, you got to think yeah. that he's done a remarkable job this year too. I mean, everybody expects Chicago to win, and you know they've got 109 points. Um, you know they're right there. I mean, they're not going to win the President's Trophy, but they're right there, and they they always have a substantial turnaround. Uh, I mean, they built the team around a core, but you look at the Chicago team from the one that last won the Stanley Cup to the one that won the Stanley Cup before, and they're not, other than Taves, Kane, and Keith, and, and the goalie in Seabrook, I mean, there's been an incredible amount of change in that team. And, uh, you know, Coach doesn't get any credit for it. No, and Quenville, you said uh, he's only won one Jack Adams Award, and it was not with Chicago. He won it in 1999 okay. with the St. Louis Blues. So... Throughout his tenure here in Chicago, being the most dominant. How many cups? Team. How many cups has he won? Exactly uh, three Stanley Cups with the uh, Blackhawks here: 2010, 2013, and then obviously 2015. So yeah. three Stanley Cups. Yeah, but champion. he never won one with Chicago. Uh, never won the Jack Adams Award with yeah. with Chicago. And, and Babcock, with cups. all his with all his success, has never won a Coach of the Year. No, never. Yeah, it's hard to believe, isn't it? It's well, just because the team's always been competitive. Yeah, I mean, it's just they they look at the wrong. I, I think. You know, just because you turn around a team doesn't necessarily make it. I mean, sometimes it's tougher to coach a successful team because the expectations are so high and the pressure is so high. Um, so certainly we, you know, we're, uh, we, we make, uh, we're not ashamed to say that we're Leafs fans on this show and uh, we're certainly pushing for Mike Babcock. And we're, I, I don't think there's any question but Austin Matthews. Uh, I know that we're not objective in Toronto and we think that we're the center of the hockey universe and other 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 hockey cities uh, think that we know it all here, but uh, I don't think there's any doubt that Austin Matthews has to be the rookie of the year. Yeah, I mean it's it's. I mean as I just said before, we just started forty this. goals in uh, turn a team around from last overall to to making the playoffs. Um, and playing big league minutes, uh, he's in line yeah. to be captain. I mean, just a remarkable, just a remarkable, remarkable draft choice and. Uh, Man, it's going to be fun watching these, uh, watching these rookies develop into and take it to the. Hopefully, they take it to the next level. Well, the other thing too, it reflects well in the league because who's your first pick overall? Yeah. Best new player in the league. So it certainly doesn't help from the marketing standpoint for the league. Naz, we talked talk about ahead. the Leafs last night. Around, the, I was talking yeah. to Sid uh, uh, about this, and we were talking about the draft and how uh, well and we, they drafted Matthews, and who knew he was going to be the way he is right now? That's a great pick. You know, you got to give him credit for drafting Marner and Nylander, too, because those two kids have turned out to be great players also. And it looks like a very good team for the future, for sure. Well, you know, it's just, you know, the focus tends to be on, obviously, Marner, Nylander, and Matthews, just because they're the high draft choices, right? They're the, they're the, the guys drafted in the top 10 uh, of their draft classes, but uh, some of the second tier rookies have been uh, have been uh, uh, have been pretty phenomenal too, uh, and have fulfilled uh, really really vital roles in this team. Um, you know, I, it's tough to classify Zaitsev as a rookie, but you know, he's a first year player. Uh, but he's uh, you know he's certainly been an important factor. Then there's some of the other guys you see up front. Uh, rookies are not rookies, but you know Connor Brown always impresses me. Connor Brown's yeah. a rookie, and he yeah. kills penalties and 
Yeah, I, I just, I mean, good. I watch him play, and I say, where'd he come from? Yeah. Right, he's, uh, he's, uh, he's certainly a talented player, and uh, uh, Steve, maybe you want to comment on some of the, some of the other guys, what, uh, what's the strength of their games? Yeah. Well, with Connor Brown, I wrote in the article uh, on the Nassimali website last night that maybe the most overlooked rookie became the center of attention here in Toronto last night. He scores the goal that gets him up for three, and you know his 20th goal, the hometown boy, it was almost a perfect story for Connor Brown to finally catapult himself and say, look, I'm here too. I've been a phenomenal rookie, really performed well for the team this season. As you mentioned before, to Zaitsev, not easy, especially with the defensive core the Leafs have, Wally, that... Uh, you know he's been thrown into a tough situation. He's been able to do a really nice job, and that's why you hear all these uh, rumblings about a seven-year contract signing coming up with Nikita Zaitsev, a guy who's definitely earned that that contract because he's played so well for the team this year. But the other thing you got to remember too is that you got to look at uh, not only Mike Babcock, the job he's done in setting the bar for what it, the standard it takes to play for the Leafs, but look at the job Mark Hunter's done. I mean, Mark Hunter drafted, you know, he went after guys like Nylander instead of going for big players. I mean, even Marner, a small guy uh, in size versus a big player. And what the Leafs have been able to do is they've been able to create competition at each position. So they now have depth. I mean, kids like Josh Lebo can't even get in a lineup. Kapanen has been able to get in a lineup because they're too strong at forward. That is where the real strength of this hockey club is, is the underlying strength they've built at the Marlboro level. Yeah. And that is, that's a reflection back again on management. Really remarkable last night, uh, the third goal was scored by Ka- was Kapanen. Kapanen. And Kapanen. it was, you know, it, like, what a, you know, it's just that there's a level of theater associated with this with this with this team that you know it's his first nhl goal and like what a time to score your first nhl goal and the crowd's going crazy and you're tying the game up and then and then you talk about uh and it's 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 unfortunate i had to watch the you know on on this little iphones and then and then you know you're back your your main goalie gets hurt the guy who's been the heart and soul of your team all year long and then the best player in the world has got an has got a whole gaping net with what a minute and a half left in the game Sidney Crosby has got the whole net to tie the game up and just make Leaf fans sweat a little bit more and uh, and and the backup goalie sticks his pad out. He, he's doing the best Ken Dryden impersonation I've seen since night since, since Dryden robbed Jim Pappen back in 1971. <laughs> and don't I mean, forget, it, <laughs> don't forget 34 with like seconds left yeah. in the game takes the puck and is on his side of center ice and is so confident drills it in the middle of the net. Now you can think as old Leaf fans think. In the old days, that puck would have gone wide of the net, and there would have been a face-off in our back in our end with a couple seconds left, and the goal would have gone in the net. But again, it just shows you the confidence that these kids have, and that they've been instilled. Oh, we're just—it's—it's it's just so—it's so much. I got to tell you, it's so much fun, uh, uh, you know, watching these kids develop and make the playoffs. And as we got a, f- a couple more minutes before we go to break, and I want to get some final thoughts from you before uh, when we come back from break, we'll be talking golf and uh, and Masters and. Uh, um, uh, Important game tonight uh, in a lot of different ways. Um, I mean, we're still euphoric over last night's uh, victory because we're in the playoffs. But the team we don't want to play, the team the Leafs don't want to play is Washington. Uh, And if we get a point tonight, and I'm not ashamed to use the word we, uh, you know, we're homers on this show. We don't pretend to be otherwise. Um, If we get a point tonight, uh, we get Ottawa. The Battle of Ontario. Naz size uh, 
Size it up. Let's say let's let's uh, let's assume we avoid the Capitals. Let's assume we get the point tonight. Uh, what are you what are you foreseeing in an in an Ottawa Toronto Battle of Ontario series? Well, our friend Eugene would be happy. That's for sure. <laughs> well, we'll have that to give be, him a call. That would be an interesting game by game scenario. That's for sure. Look, look at the look at the the setup. Beyond enough playing against the Leafs for a seven game. I had completely forgotten about oh, that. That should God, be fun. It would be <laughs> yeah, it would be something. It, it, it really would, and uh, the Leafs have a shot. They don't have a, I, I don't think they have a legitimate shot against Washington, but they they definitely do against Ottawa. There's no question about it. And uh, Ottawa's banged up in the blue line. They they had a lot of guys hurt in the last week or so, so they're 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 a little injured. But you know the key is Anderson. How serious is that injury, Wally? Well, that's, that's the key. You know, I'm I'm somewhat concerned about it. I mean. Um... From what the tweets that I've read and the Toronto Sun article I, I've read uh, is suggesting, it's obviously the nature of the injury. If if you if you weren't watching last night's game, it came to my surprise when we when turned Anderson got, I guess he got his bell uh, as as one of the Pittsburgh players was skating by the crease, he hit him in the head. And Han, Anderson has a history of head injuries uh, with Anaheim and now with Toronto and. Babcock after the game, uh, Steve, you're you're on on the pulse of this better than than we are because Naz and I are a little bit out of it because of last night. Um, Babcock, I think, was quoted after the game that there's a shot that Anderson will be playing tonight. Yeah, no, they hadn't ruled out the the chance of him playing tonight. Although I don't think it looks good or bodes well for Anderson because that was a scary injury the way his head snapped on the play. And especially now that you've locked up a playoff spot, if anything were to happen to Anderson tonight and you're to lose him for the postseason. Forget it. even playing Washington having a chance. If you have no Anderson going into a series against Ottawa, it makes it even more difficult. Naz, last question before we let you go and we go to break. If Anderson is available tonight, if he was not, I, I've got to assume if he's got a, if he was concussed last night, he's not playing tonight. The doctors uh, won't let I don't him play. See him playing tonight. But let's assume he's not concussed. Do you play him? Why? Why don't you play him? Let me ask you, Naz. Why wouldn't no, you play they're, them? They're in the they're in, they're in the playoffs. Why go through it anyway? Because you because you don't want to play Washington. You don't yeah, want. But it's not worth it. It's not worth it. It's you and I are going to disagree on this one, Naz. Oh, I, and, okay. and me too. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think if Anderson's if Anderson's not concussed, uh, I, I guess he only played a period last night, right? So it's not really yeah, a back to back for him. No, he had two periods of rest. I think I think you, I think you got a reasonable shot of being of beating Ottawa. I think you go for it. No, you cannot ever sit back because that's the problem with, with teams that finish in eighth place is they're just happy to be there. And this team is not built that way. This team is built to be there to win. And you can't – if your goalie's good enough to play, he's playing. And I yeah. think that, that's the message that Mike Babcock was giving last night. He was, as, as Steve said, yeah. he, was, he wasn't saying he was playing. He was just saying in a perfect see, world we've, he'll we've play. Gotten, we've gotten, we, you see, the, the reality is we've gotten spoiled real fast. Is now we now we've already we're already putting expectations on this team and we're already we're already thinking ahead and we're you know and I I mean I'd you know no there's no I think you get I, I think you go up against Washington it's not a hopeless cause I mean there's there's all kinds of uh, examples in the past with the with the where the eight seed knocks off the one seed it's not it's not unexpected. Uh, do I do? It happens a lot. Okay, yeah. It happens a lot. I mean, yeah. they played all year for the President's Cup to get home ice advantage in Game 7, and that's all it really stands for. And the hardest series to win for any team is the first yeah, series. I, yeah, but I, I just, I, I mean, you know, they'd have to put up an impenetrable wall across, across their goal crease 
for the Leafs to beat Washington. But it's, yeah, you know what? I'm, you know, hope springs eternal. Uh, this, if there's one thing this edition of the Toronto Maple Leaf consistently does is they surprise me. Listen, everybody knows what they're playing for once that puck drops. Yeah. And it doesn't matter how young they are or how old yeah. they are or how much experience they have or where they finish in the playoffs. I just, I'd love to see them play Ottawa, though, because I think they're going to beat That's Ottawa. That's why. Let's forget about the playoffs. Worry yeah. about tonight's game because yeah. the way this, as I started to say before, the way this team is built is to win every game you play. Yeah. And tonight, play tonight's game like it's last game of the year, which it is, and play it hard. And then see where the chips fall after. Anyways, Naz, we're uh, we're going to let you go, my friend. Uh, we've got to go to break, and as when we come back from break, we'll be talking some golf. Once again, on behalf of myself and my family, uh, to you and yours, uh, thank you so much for a wonderful evening last night. Uh, truly memorable in a lot of different ways, and of course, we wish we we wish the young couple all the best and and, and hopefully an incredible future together. Congratulations. Thanks, Thanks guys. Okay, Naz. Thanks so Take much. Care. Take care, Naz. We'll see you again here next Sunday. Uh, time for a break, my friends, and we'll be right back with John Steinbretter, one of uh, he's calling. We'll be speaking with him. He's at Augusta this morning. He writes for Masters.com. He's one of the most insightful golf writers you'll find anywhere, and it's certainly a privilege for us to be chatting the Masters with John Steinbretter. It was a rainy day when Pizzaville realised that people may not know how many different kinds of ponzos Pizzaville makes. You can go Italian if you like a sausage. You can go Hawaiian if you like ham and pineapple. And you can go Canadian if you like bacon, beer and hockey. We can build a ponzo that speaks your language. No matter where you are from. Call Pizzaville at 736-3636 or visit pizzaville.ca. At Titanium Logistics, we believe that choosing the right shipping company comes down to two issues, price and cost. Most prices are competitive, will likely save you money too, but the cost of choosing the wrong company to service your cross-border freight to and from the U.S. and Mexico can be extraordinary. If it's not where it should be, when it should be, that bargain price, worthless. Titanium Logistics, on time, on budget. Call 905-266-3014. Ask for Blair Downey. At 20,000 square feet, Steel's Paint and Woodbridge is Canada's largest independent paint store. Big deal, right? Big deal? Yes. The best brands, the best staff, the best advice, the best of everything. From color matching to brand selection, whether you're a pro or a DIYer, we'll look after you from the minute you walk in to the minute you walk in a second time as a completely satisfied customer. Big store, big deal, bigger satisfaction. Simple. Steel's Paint, 4190 Steel's Avenue West in Woodbridge. This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Bond. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada, and the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com, or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. You name it, they'll argue about it. No sport left unturned. The boys are back. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning and welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live from Liberty Village in downtown Toronto on this beautiful, beautiful Sunday morning, which I always call the real first day of spring because it's Masters Sunday. Uh, It's always a special day. It's going to be a fantastic afternoon, and we're pleased to have join us this morning uh, from Augusta, 
He's a contributor to Masters.com. He's also a senior writer for Global Golf Post and one of the most respected golf writers in the world. That, of course, is John Steinbreder. John, welcome back to the Nazawali Sports Hour. It's great to have you again. Uh, great to be with you guys. And it's uh, you talk about the first day of spring. It is a beautiful, perfect spring day down here. And uh, I wouldn't want, I wouldn't uh, want to be anywhere else. Just, John, uh, you know, we would, we, we'd love to be right there beside you, believe me. So uh, uh, we're, we're certainly, uh, you're, you're making us feel quite envious. Uh, but uh, you, you certainly deserve to be there a lot more than, than we do because you are, you know, you've written so many great, great books about the, about the game of golf and uh, certainly some, uh, we, I always enjoy reading, uh, reading your insights. And uh, one thing I do want to share with the listeners, it's, it's, uh, and I'll share with you, I know that you're a big hockey fan. Uh, you've actually written a book on hockey. Uh, and it's in, we're celebrating in Toronto this morning. And, John, we just want to let you know that uh, our beloved Toronto Maple Leafs beat the Pittsburgh Penguins last night, and we've made the playoffs. Uh, it's only the second time we're going to be in the playoffs in a long, long time. So uh, we're celebrating in Toronto for different reasons. I just thought we'd, uh, we'd share that with you. Well, listen, growing up, I mean, as a kid, uh, the, the Maple Leafs were obviously one of the original six. I'm a Rangers fan my whole life, and... I love all six of those original teams, and I love when they do well because I think it's great for hockey. And But the history and traditions in Toronto, I think it's fabulous. So you guys are in the playoffs, and hope my Rangers do well in them as well, and we have a, a great playoff uh, season. But as we contemplate that and we think about that, I'm, I'm actually fired up about what we've got in store for us here today. I mean, that leaderboard, that top of that leaderboard especially is – is just magnificent, and uh, I know my brethren here in the in the in the journalism world, and just people around Augusta last night. Everybody's kind of buzzing and talking about it with uh, Sergio and Justin Rose, the uh, last group out, and the group before the, uh, them will be Ricky and uh, Jordan Spieth. And it doesn't get much better than that, as they uh, as they say. John, tell us uh, tell us the, tell us what the buzz is down at Augusta, and I agree. I mean, it's certainly a fabulous leaderboard. Um, and uh, what do what uh, what's the what are people what are the uh, reporters what are the fans what are what what can we expect to see this afternoon? Well, it's been an interesting tournament. You know, we had um, uh, bad weather on Monday and Wednesday. The part three contest was canceled on Wednesday. We had tornado warnings both of those days, and uh, Thursday, especially, but both Thursday and Friday were just brutally hard. Uh, playing conditions out here, uh, winds gusting up into the high 30s. Um, even though the course was wet, you know they do such a great job with their sub air systems and everything else to get it ready for play. And it just played really hard. And it made you know what Charlie Hoffman did with a 65 on Thursday, one of the most remarkable rounds ever played out here, in my opinion. And now with this good weather and uh, with the way play is going, the course is firm. It's fast. Um, and people were just sort of talking about, um, you know, seeing those that made moves yesterday, like Adam Scott, who shot a 69 and, you know, put himself in, uh, you know, seventh place, just three under par, and uh, Schwartzel and Westwood both shooting 68s, and, and Speed shooting 69-68 after a, a 75 on the first day and a nine, a quad uh, bogey on the 15th hole, and it, it's just, uh, I think what people are buzzing about is the quality of the play, the quality of the leaderboard, and how, you know, Cream rising to the top again is the best players in the world battle it on a golf course. It's been playing very, very tough so far. 
John, we're talking to John Steinbrenner. John is uh, is in Augusta this morning. He contributes to Masters.com. He's also a senior writer for a, 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 a fantastic digital golf publication called Global Golf Post. You can find it at globalgolfpost.com. I'm uh, a frequent visitor to that site. John, uh, we've we've chatted, and uh, and uh, and there's something special about Augusta. Um, it's the course, it's the club, it's the history, it's the time of year. It's Arnie, 1958, broke in. It's CBS, it's the music, the, the uh, Jim Nance. Uh, what is it about Augusta that is different than any other place? Well, to me, it's just... Um First of all, the setting, it's an extraordinary setting and an extraordinary golf course. Um, and the way it is set up, and it, it's interesting because what they call the second nine today was originally the first nine at this uh, club. And, and when the first Masters was played in 34, uh, when it was called the Augusta National Invitation Tournament, um, they teed off of what is now 10. That was the first hole. Now, they switched the nines uh, for the next tournament in part because the Amen Corner area is lies is the most uh, lowest line area of the golf course, and it would take the longest to defrost when they had frost in the mornings. Well, that turned out you know to be the most fortuitous switch in the world because that back nine is just made for dra- for drama. So I think part of it is the golf course for whatever reason is just it's designed and so perfectly designed for uh, drama and to present drama on Sunday afternoons. But the other thing is, and this goes back to Clifford Roberts and Bobby Jones, the founders, and this mandate continues to this day, there's an absolute obsession here with uh, doing things right, doing things the right way, and always improving, always looking for ways to improve stuff. And um, there's an advantage to having one tournament at one site. You can fine-tune it each year, but these people will spare no time or expense or effort to make it the best possible experience for the players, the best possible experience for the patrons who are here, the best possible experience for those around the world who either watch it on CBS or uh, tune into um, you know ESPN early in the week or go to Masters.com, and they also do that for the journalists who come here from Global Golf Post and other publications all over the world to make their experience in covering this as easy and as convenient and as um, helpful as possible. So it's 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 a it's a culture here. It's just a way of doing things the right way, doing things better as much as they can every year. And those things all combine to make this for spectators and for the media and uh, for viewers and people checking in on websites like Masters.com, the, uh, the best golf tour of the year. And I think it's the best sporting event I've ever covered as a journalist or attended as a spectator. John, it's uh, Mike Wilson here. Um, I've actually been to Augusta a couple of times, and I think – Maybe sharing with the listeners what they don't appreciate. I mean, first off, I would say that one of the things that, uh, you know, we talk about is is, I've been to all the majors and it's the only golf tournament where you see that the players will never criticize the golf course. Nobody ever says anything outlandish about anything around Augusta. Even the announcers are gushing all the time about the golf course and the patrons act different, walk different, talk different. It's just got this mystique about it that's been created by Cliff Roberts and Bobby Jones from back into the 30s, and it's just carried through. So all those things aside, and people talking about the golf tournament really doesn't begin until the back nine on Sunday afternoon, and, you know, all those ghosts. I'd like you to comment on a couple of things. First off, Jordan Spieth, 
you know, watching his, I mean, I was looking at his uh, body language last night or last couple of interviews he had, and he does, he looked a little bit unsettling. He didn't want to really go there from last year. And you know, some of these other guys have experienced some, you know, setbacks also coming back in on the Sunday. So how much is that going to weigh in him? But also would you share with the listeners that the thing about the golf course that you don't see on TV is there are no perfect lies. Like you're either hitting off a downhill lie or an uphill lie. And, you know, the greens everybody is aware are like putting on a dining room table but just maybe give people an idea of really dif- the difficulty of this golf course well i think the first thing that comes to mind are the elevation changes you know this is built on an old tree uh nursery 365 acres of total property here um you know it is a tough course to walk it's a tiring course to walk it's I mean, I, I think the elevation change on number 10, for example, from the tee to the lowest spot of the fairway is 170 feet. Um, you um, you need to be in shape to play this golf course and to be playing it in competitive conditions of five-hour and six-hour rounds over um, over a four-day tournament like that. You've got to be fit. And so that, there's a lot of that that comes into it in terms of just endurance and 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 handling the walk and the um, energy required to play this course and play it well, um, it tests you. The winds are tough. They swirl down here. The greens are fast. and fairways are, are are fast as well. And I think mentally, you know, you've got to be strong too because every shot uh, matters. Every shot is difficult. Every shot needs to be really analyzed and contemplated. And I think it's an exhausting uh, golf course to play mentally under tournament conditions for that for that reason. And you're right about the lies. I mean, again, there are a lot of different lies on this golf course. I was talking with um, Phil Mickelson about this the other day, and, and, and Spieth talked about it. And I, I asked Spieth about w- what did he like about this golf course. And one of the things he said, he loved the different lies, the side hill lies, and the creativity it demands. So very much like a link-style golf course, which was the intention when Alistair McKenzie and Bobby Jones designed this golf course uh, way back when was to create kind of an inland links, very reminiscent, very similar um, in, in the way it needed to be played to the old course in St. Andrews. And, and part of that, as anybody who plays links golf knows, is you have really weird lies sometimes, and you've got to hit a lot of creative shots. It's one reason Seve did so well here, one his three green jackets. I mean, so those are the things that come to mind instantly. And as you know, if you've been to uh, any professional golf tournament, but especially a major they set it up hard. I mean, the pin placements are just out of control sometimes. You just can't believe it. Um, they, for us, for mere mortal golfers, they would just we'd be throwing up on ourselves all the time trying to trying to get to these pins. And uh, that, to me, is what's so interesting is uh, is how difficult it'll play for these for the best players in the world. It really is a test. We're, we're talking to John Steinbrenner. John is uh, he's actually in Augusta this morning, uh, and he's looking forward to. Uh, and we're all looking forward to a fantastic uh, finish to the Masters. And John, of course, uh, is a senior writer for GlobalGolfPost.com. And I, and I want to talk about uh, uh, what I found fast. What I find fascinating about Augusta is uh, is that it brings out. There's something about this course that brings out character. Uh, and there's two two. Uh, Two golfers more so than any other, perhaps perhaps three, in my mind, that are associated with Augusta in almost intertwined, and and two of them are, I mean, of course, Jack Nicholas, of course, in his in his infamous '86 uh, comeback win, uh, but two that two gentlemen that are no longer with us, and of course we lost the great Arnold Palmer 
last year, and Arnold was always associated with Augusta, and Augusta was associated with Arnie, with CBS and the coming of age of TV, and we lost Arnie last year. And there's another gentleman that there was a fantastic article, and I highly recommend, if you're, if you're a golf fan, and perhaps you can talk about this article a little bit, uh, John, because I know that uh, you posted about it. And, 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 of course, I'm talking about Seve. Um, is, um, Seve burst on the scene at Augusta, uh, as he did at the British Open. But uh, there's something about Seve and Augusta, the creativity that that course brings out in golfers and Arnie and Seve were probably the two greatest epitomes of that. Um, tell, tell us a little bit about that article in globalgolfpost.com and uh, how much has Arnold missed this year at Augusta? Well, um, regarding Arnold, he's missed uh, terribly. Uh, I just wrote a piece. It'll be up later this morning on masters.com. Uh, I did with uh, Jim Nance and Jim is uh, doing his Jim Nance Remember special that'll run from one to two o'clock today in CBS sports. And it's, uh, the last interview with Arnold Palmer and, and which he did last uh, year here on Thursday of master's week. So the last recorded interview with Arnold and, um, speaks a lot about Arnold and his career here. Uh, in addition with Jack Nicholas, Gary player and Phil Mickelson are all on the show. And I wrote a piece that talked about that interview that Jim did and how it came about. And, and that'll be up on masters.com later this morning. And, and that's kind of the final, you know, the final farewell here in a week that's been all about Arnie in, in many ways. On um, on Wednesday in the Chairman Billy Payne's press conference, he, he spoke so eloquently and, and movingly of Arnold and, and what he meant to golf and to him and to golf fans all over the world. And Thursday, every patron who came into the gates here got a, a white button with green lettering uh, proclaiming them to be members of Arnie's army. And uh, then the you know the honorary first tee uh, started on uh, Thursday morning it was very emotional. They had uh, a white chair out there that Billy and Arnold's uh, wife Kit put uh, Arnold's jacket, uh, green jacket over, and Nicholas uh, tipped his hat and looked to the sky, um, you know, as if to um, acknowledge Arnold before he teed off and hit his tee shot. I mean, it was just. Very, very moving. And then with Jim saying uh, today, and my piece, I think as well, are kind of putting a bookend on a, uh, on a week and on a tournament that where Arnold has been very, very much in mind. And you know, and of course you have Seve. Today would have been Seve's 60th birthday, and um, sort of the Arnold Palmer of Europe. A lot of people uh, sort of think of him as being a creative, swashbuckling, gopher broke guy. And you know, the first European who really made guys. Uh, believe other Europeans, including people like Nick Faldo, uh, you know, believe that they could win over here in the States. And it's hard not to think of Seve uh, when you're ever here at Augusta, but today especially, uh, he's very much in mind. And it's very interesting that um, on the day of his 60th birthday, we've got a, a Spaniard and Sergio Garcia leading after 54 holes. And my colleague at Global Golf Post, John Hopkins, who uh, is just brilliant and you know, one of the best journalists of all time, wrote for the Sunday Times and the Times of London for years, and now writes for us, um, did a long-form piece on sort of you know, the ghost of Seve. And, and I, I'm with you. I'd recommend it to anybody. It's a Global Golf Post. Go to the site. You can link on to it. It is absolutely a brilliant piece of journalism that reminds us all of the magic of the genius of the legacy of Seve Ballesteros. 
We've been talking to John Steinbreder. John, you know, it's always a privilege. We uh, we always, uh, I think it's, we've been doing this for a few years on Master Sunday, and uh, I, I absolutely love talking golf with you. And uh, Master Sunday is one of my favorite days of the year. Uh, it's going to be a fantastic afternoon. Um, and uh, all I can say is thank you for taking your time for us. I know you've got an incredibly busy schedule, and uh, you're down at Augusta, and we just from uh, sincerely thank you so much john we really really appreciate it well it's a great master sunday tradition for me as well and let's keep it going and uh, anytime i can uh, check in with you guys i enjoy it very much and thanks for your time thanks so much john keep well all the best cheers guys thank you so much that of course was uh, john steinbreder uh Check him out at masters.com. He, he really is a, one of golf's most insightful writers. And, uh, and, if, you're, and if you're passionate about golf, uh, check out globalgolfpost.com. There's a phenomenal article about the great Severiano Ballesteros. Like, I don't know if I got the pronunciation <laughs> right, but uh, he's just, we don't even use that. He's just Sevi. Just like Arnold is just Arnie. Arnold Palmer is just Arnie. Well, the one thing I wanted to ask John was, here we are on Master Sunday and the final round coming up. What it is, 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 is he talked about the mental toughness the player has to win this tournament. And at the end of the day, it is another golf tournament. But there's just something special about it. And I think part of what goes through a player's mind, and I wanted to get John's opinion on this, is do you want to be that guy? And not that good. The easy part is the Arnie and the Seve stories about winning. It's about that guy, the Jordan Spieth collapse, the Greg Norman collapse, Scott Hoke. I mean, Scott Hoke made the comment. <laughs> on, he made the comment, who's really going to care when I die? But the comment from the writer said, well, what's the first line of your obit going to say? I mean, here's a guy who had the Masters in his hands, and he let it go on a two-foot putt. So, I mean, really, when all these ghosts come back to the guys, you really how much of that is weighing on their minds as they're walking down that 10th fairway in the back nine. Uh. I I I I don't I um, I don't play golf competitively. I'm not that good. Uh, I'm I'm what they call a mid handicapper, mid handicapper. But there's something unique about golf. Um, I mean, the guys I play with, they, you know, you come down to the 18th hole, and there's usually, you know, let's say 10, 20 bucks on the line. Uh, I don't play for serious money, but uh, you know, uh, when when they're when they're and, and you're playing for pride. More so when you're playing with your buddies and and bragging rights for the week and and the twenty and having a the worst thing is to have to peel twenty bucks off and give it to one of your buddies after a round of golf and when when you got to make that three foot putt on eighteen uh, and it's a downhill slider <laughs> I can I can you know I I know how nerve wracking that is I I can't even imagine what it's like uh to have like a two foot putt to win the masters i can't even imagine i mean i can't even imagine the pressure and uh talking about putt remember i remember the 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 great putt mike weir made when he the year he won the masters on 18 he had to he had to drop a six footer uh on 18 oh (laughs) just just don't worry about that yeah yeah, that was, uh, you know, pressure, pressure's phenomenal. We've got about five minutes left, and uh, uh, I want to take up two or three minutes. I want to take advantage of your expertise a little bit, Mike. Um, a really, really short comment. Um, Gary Bettman took a lot of criticism this week, and the NHL owners took a lot of criticism uh, because their, the NHL players are not going to the Olympics in Korea. Um Criticism fair? Why should the why should only the why should only the NHL owners take criticism? Why shouldn't the players take criticism? Why shouldn't the IOC take criticism? 
I mean, I mean, this should have been this should have been a, a three or four way negotiation, and it seemed like everybody was asking the owners to take the hit on everything, and nobody else seemed to be contributing. I want your comments on that. Well, you know, I mean, it's it's a it's a loaded question because there's a, there's a number of different ways you can go at it. If you're looking at it from a business standpoint, the business decision made was the right one for the owners because their assets were at risk. You know, they would have to cover their own insurance, and there was no money in it for them. So why would you shut down your league for two weeks and to send maybe one or two players off your team to, this, to the tournament and, you know, then get nothing back in return? And you're running the risk of a John Tavares injury or somebody along those lines getting hurt, which is your— You've just made the case. But on but, the other but, hand, as a player— and, you know, again, there's talk, why didn't the players negotiate in the CBA contract that this be a demand or this be a... You know, I'll be quite frank with you because it wasn't a big deal for them because, at that time. Well, they just thought it was a given. Well, no, I, 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 I respectfully disagree. I don't think it was an oversight in the sense that it wasn't in that particular... I, I don't believe that, the, that all the lawyers for the Players Association, that Donald Fear and all the players... It was a complete and utter oversight. I just don't think it was. Well, they a wouldn't make that. A, they wouldn't make that a, a deal breaker to go yeah. to the Olympics over other money. Yeah, it just it never came up in the negotiations. Apparently, but as a player, you know, it is probably one of the ultimate things to play in next to the Stanley Cup. Yeah, and you know, it's, I, I, as a I, fan, I I, I I agree that it's the ultimate thing, but I just I can't believe that. Oh my God, we forgot. No, I, well, no, I, think, I, I don't no, believe that. No, no, I think what they did is they assumed it was going to be a given that they'd be going every year. And it wasn't. That's a pretty dangerous assumption. Yeah, it is. <laughs> well, you know, I, I mean, there's I, there's millions, there's there's millions and millions of, and you know, you you can argue back and forth between the owners and the players' association. They have a collective bargaining agreement, and everything gets collectively bargained, right? But the IOC, the IOC apparently put nothing on the table, said you guys can come, and we're not going to give well, you anything. You want to talk about corrupt organizations, exactly. yeah. right? Come on. right? And, and you let's know, deal, look at what you're dealing with, and look, absolutely. Look, look who's sitting and that's, the table and that's why I don't blame the owners for saying, you know what, we're not taking. You know what, somebody else put something on the table here for us. It's a negotiation. You it's know, a you, bargaining. I went to the gold medal game in 2002, yeah. and the other side of the rink, half the rink was empty for the first part because there were all the IOC seats. Anyways, Mike, I'm going to have to cut you off. Unfortunately, yeah. I apologize. We've got one minute left, and there's something I, 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 I <laughs> want to talk about in the last minute. Yeah. And today's an important date, and I'd be, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't, if we didn't talk about this at least for a minute and contemplate it. Uh, there are a lot of Canadians over in France uh, paying homage today to one of the greatest events in our nation's history. And in, a lot, in the view of a lot of historians... A hundred years ago this weekend is when Canada became a nation. Canada was, bo- was born through the political efforts of a whole bunch of politicians in 1867. But there's a lot of people who think Canada became a nation a hundred years ago this weekend. And of course, we're talking about Vimy Ridge. It is, if you're a student of Canadian history, if you have respect for our veterans, if you have respect for who we are as a people... You will take a minute and you will contemplate today the sacrifices that were made in a countryside in France a hundred years ago. Canada, I'm proud to call myself a Canadian. I always have been. And I'm proud to say that a hundred years ago today, we should pay homage to the brave Canadian men and women who gave their lives for our liberty. Give them a moment thought today. 
Bimmy Ridge. 100 years ago, Canada became a nation. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back again next Sunday morning at 9 a.m. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.